hakika wema nazo fadhili hakika wema nazo Welcome to Movable Dough. This is Steve Danielson. Each week, I get to sit down with a living composer and talk about their lives, their musical journeys, and of course, their music. Join me and take a peek inside the mind of a composer. For a complete archive of episodes, as well as access to the shorter segments called Movable Snippets, visit my website, sdcompose.com slash movabledough. Hey, this is Steve. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Movable Dough. Joining me today is composer and lyricist Jennifer Lucy Cook. Jen specializes in musical comedy for the stage and screen, progressive choral music, and pop songwriting. She earned a bachelor's degree in contemporary music from Brigham Young University and a master's degree in musical theater writing from Goldsmiths University in London. Recent choral commissions include the Cantorum Chamber Choir, Voces Ad Opus for Louisiana ACDA, and the UVU Chamber Choir. Her theater commissions include Full House Theater Company, British Youth Musical Theater, and the Globe Theater in London. Jennifer Lucy Cook, welcome to Movable Dough. Thank you. So glad to be here. So are you okay if I call you Jen? Yeah, Jen's great. Okay. So Jen, I would like to start today with something that you include in your online bio, but I didn't mention earlier. So I understand you have a pretty popular TikTok account. <laughs> and so I don't have a TikTok account myself, uh, so I had to go look this up. Apparently, you make musical reviews of episodes of The Bachelor. So where did this idea come from? Yes. <laughs> this is a totally normal thing for a totally composer normal. to, to yeah. do, right? <laughs> no. Okay, yes. Yeah. So I had this cute little viral TikTok moment where I made um, musical recaps of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Are you a Bachelor fan at all? Have you watched it? I'm not. No, I've, I've never been a huge is... reality TV person. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. I mean, it's just, it's so juicy and fun and a huge part of like the fandom is actually the recaps like the hot takes uh -huh. the episode and stuff like that it's like and watching so baseball it's the best way just oh, the right. highlights exactly <laughs> exactly and like because the, the bachelor is honestly like so operatic in many ways like the overdramatic extremes of emotion whirlwind romances scorned lovers i mean it's so operatic to me and so i decided to recap every episode through music so i would watch the episode write the song like that night and then spend the next day recording producing the song with my partner pete and then like filming it and i'd put the recap up on tiktok within 24 hours and it was like such a fun thing random thing to do it's not choral in any way but it's, <laughs> it's very much silly and fun and yeah, a great writing exercise as well. And it's fun to see how many people connect through the music aspect of The Bachelor besides like not even they don't even watch the show. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, I, have, I have to say I, I watched a couple of them and I was like, I'm really interested in this episode, even though I don't want to watch the episode. <laughs> But I, I was drawn in by the music. It was yeah, a lot of fun. I really, I want ABC to just like commission me because I'm clearly bringing <laughs> <laughs> in <right>. business. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is fun. Yeah, um, but that's a quick turnaround. Yeah, so like like a day or two and then the song is out. Literally 24 hours. That was like the hard deadline I gave myself. Wow. I'm like, because you know, like as a writer, like we can write and edit and revise till we're dead. And it's like, no. I don't want this to take over my whole life, like just 24 <laughs> hours, like it's, it will be done. And I think um, with comedy too, like brevity is 
hugely helpful. Um, so yeah, but yes, it was a very fast turnaround and, you know, just got those writing muscles really in shape, I have to say. Oh yeah, I bet. Yeah. All right. So currently you're in Los Angeles, but I know you're not native to the area. Uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Northern Utah in a little town called Wellsville. near Logan. Wellsville. Okay. Yes. Yes. And yes. were were you in a musical family there? Yes. My family is really musical. My parents actually met in um, Mormon Youth Symphony and Chorus. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Probably are familiar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I grew up with choirs and piano and tons of music for church. But um, yeah, I, I think one of the things that comes from, as, as I'm sure you know as well, like a lot of church music is that ironically nothing is sacred like you end up end up like arranging hymns into medleys or like revoicing because you don't have a tenor that week or whatever and i have watched i grew up watching my my dad in particular because he conducted the church choir a lot Mm -hmm. and rearranged it a lot and so i grew up seeing like oh you can just make music it's not set in stone right and so i think um yeah i really benefited just from watching that music get made around me a lot as a kid yeah so speaking of music getting made when did you start musicking were you doing piano lessons or what did you start with i mean i i started with children's choirs and piano like everyone i don't know it's very, <laughs> very basic i'm not like a virtuosic pianist or any or even a virtuosic singer by any means but it was it was just um part of the wallpaper you know uh-huh. it was just it was there all the time and um yeah we would we would like make up little songs around the house growing up like kind of to keep ourselves company or because it was funny I don't know like I grew up with my with my dad again in particular like writing parody lyrics to hymns like a ton which is very sacrilegious (laughs) very fun and so yeah like we would just we would just make up little songs all the time and so I, I don't know that there was ever like a day one first composition necessarily but um it was always it was always part of part of the DNA. That's cool. So were you yeah. in, were you in the school ensembles as well, school choir yes. and things like that? Or? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, my high school choir experience was so formative. That was where I first heard um, Eric Whitaker's Water Night. And mm-hmm. that was the first time I was like, oh, oh, I see myself in this. I, I see, I am seen by this piece of music. I don't know how else to, to describe. So that was hugely formative. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, when I was little, like my, I don't know if you, because you went to BYU as well, right? You're I did. BYU yeah. Alum? Okay. Yeah. So you're familiar with like the Salt Lake kind of choral universe a little mm-hmm. bit. And so, um, there, uh, my parents were in the symphony and chorus. And so I, when I was really little, I, my grandma would sneak me into the symphony and chorus concerts <laughs> at, on, at the tabernacle on temple square. And, um, I don't know if that age limit has changed, but technically at the time you're supposed to be eight years old to go. And I was just this little toddler who was enraptured um, <laughs> by it. And I think, you know, I think sometimes we don't give kids enough credit. Like they can, they can handle a lot. Um, so yeah, that was around all the time. And my, my family's not professional musicians. And I think it was a leap for them uh, to go from, oh, music is fun and something that we do you know, in our spare time versus like, oh, I'm actually 
doing this as a career. This is something that I deserve to be paid for. This is something that I am, you know, risking my lively, like my life, my security to do. Um, That's, that's the leap that, that was hard to, to make. I think it still is my, my cute mom is still sometimes like, and how are you doing money wise? <laughs> so I'm, I mean, you're a composer, so I'm sure you understand a little bit of how that feels. Yeah. I think my mom finally came to grips with it when I got my master's degree. She's like, okay, yeah. I think you might be able to do something with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's um, that piece of paper. It's that's right. Super useful in a lot of other ways. <laughs> so what, so what is it in you that made you want to take that risk? What, what drove you to, to become a composer? I mean, I I wish I had a more eloquent answer for this, but I just feel like I would spontaneously combust if I didn't. That I, I feel fortunate in that I always knew what I wanted to do. I know some people like spend a lot of time trying to find that and you know, I have compassion for that, but I it was it was so clear for for me from a, a young age that I was I was gonna write music and I didn't know what form that would take. And that's still pretty in flux for me. Um, I'm hugely gravitate towards musical theater and I do a lot of that. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's what my master's is in is musical theater writing. And, um, but you know, where that, where that Venn diagram with, you know, classical music and popular music, it, it kind of coalesces in anything that has to do with voices because because singing can tell a story. So that translates for me in all sorts of genres. And that was always what captivated me is like, what story can I tell with music as the vehicle? That's awesome. So going back a little bit, I'm always interested yeah. in asking uh, composers what they were listening to when they grew up. What, oh, yeah. what was like when you were a teenager, what was the, you know, the number one song for you or what was the, your favorite CD or something oh man okay well I, I mean I grew up on classical but by the time I was you know in elementary school I d- discovered pop music and Backstreet Boys Shania Twain Spice Girls Britney Spears <laughs> and my mom was such a supporter of music but also very s- censorship was a thing and so of course anything that she censored was like stuff that I was like even more interested <laughs> in. <laughs> so the tracks I was supposed to skip on the Spice Girls CD did not get skipped. Um, yeah, those Max Martin pop tracks were huge for me. But I remember the Shania Twain um, Come On Over CD was the first CD that I actually spent my own babysitting money to buy. And what was so great about that is remember when you actually used to like read this booklets and CD? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I like read that, like every word of that. And that's where I learned that you could write music with somebody else. Because I didn't actually, I just thought one person in a room came up with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understood co-writing existed. But then also that Shania Twain um, booklet had like, she had written out, it had written out like verse. And then it was a chunk of lyric. And then chorus. And then a chunk of lyric. And then a bridge and a chunk of lyric. So I understood the what form the structure yeah. was yeah from shania twain and or still fantastic stuff i saw shania in los angeles back in 2018 so <laughs> still still, <laughs> still shania fan huh? yes. 
I mean, even compositionally, those key changes in some of those songs, I mean, they're incredible. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I have loved that stuff. Yeah. So speaking of co-writing, uh, you mentioned in your bio that you are also a lyricist. Yes. So what sort of lyrics do you write? I mean... Is this mostly... All English lyrics. <laughs> is this for, mostly for musical theater or is this for pop? Or all, choral, yeah, for all everything? of the above. Okay. I, yeah. I, again, my lyric writing started out as parody. So I start, like, started out doing that. Like when, um, when I was young, I remember one Christmas, my dad, it was the first Christmas that my dad thought, oh, we should buy a fake tree this year. And I was very against this and wrote a protest song <laughs> about the tragedies of a plastic tree in parody lyric. And um, it has lyrics that are like, oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, your branches are synthetic. Oh, how I wish that Santa'd bring a tree that's not prosthetic. Your branches are forever green because they're polyethylene manufactured on an assembly line the symbol of our christmas time <laughs> i'm impressed that you still remember that that was uh, fantastic oh, i committed that to memory <laughs> <laughs> because it was a very important and it didn't you know it didn't convince my dad so clearly i needed to work on that song more i don't know well you, you just got to think it's just a christmas tree parody that's all it is <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh but yeah so it started out as like uh humor and then i you know, grew up and started falling in love with boys that didn't love me back. And so then it turned angsty and serious, oh, yeah. you know, you got to get that out somehow. And so that, and then it turned into like, oh, telling story with song. And then I studied, you know, lyric writing formally um, at BYU because in the, I was in the media music program. So that, you know, encompassed um, a lot of pop songwriting as well and really started to did it dig into it officially and then when i was in london i went to the um bml it stands for book music lyrics um writing workshop it's mm -hmm. kind of the london equivalent of like the bmi um, okay like, uh workshop and um really oh the, that was the tough scrutiny of those British writers was great for me because they do not mince words. There was none of this like, this is great, except they were like, that that's not in a perfect rhyme, that, 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 that. But it's it was really, really good. And so I think learning how to tell, to write lyrics for telling story efficiently applies to any genre. Like, you could, that doesn't matter. And I think when it comes to like a more poetic text for choral music, it's actually quite a luxury because you don't have to be in the same way as efficient with the you don't have to tell a plot line necessarily it's just more about like how how honestly how deeply can you dig into those emotions of the lyric mm -hmm. and I think you know being a composer who writes lyrics is such a um I, I think that I have a little bit of a leg up in that respect only be, only because I get to be the one who decides like what vowel goes on what note you know when you have like an, a chord that you're like oh it would be nice if that were an ooh but this Cummings text is an I or something you know <laughs> like if you're bound by that yeah then then that's you have to kind of write around that text sometimes and I can push and pull each I can um I can extend 
a chord to match a lyric if I want it. I can like, I have the luxury of taking out like sibilance so that it, that smooths out the phrase if I need it to at the you know at a soaring moment or whatever. Yeah. And I and I like being able to massage both text and music at the same like while I'm working on it the same way. So I I really never have a text set in stone before writing a choral piece with it. I'll have sections of it, but um, yeah, I, they, they, they grow very much in tandem for me, which makes it fun in my opinion. That's awesome. All right, so I wanna turn a little bit to your choral music. Yeah. So many of my listening audiences are familiar with the compositions and work of Eric Whitaker. Yeah. In fact, I just had him on as a guest about two weeks ago. You, however, get the unique privilege of claiming Eric Whitaker as a mentor. So how did you get connected with Eric? I am so fortunate and grateful to have Eric as a mentor. He is amazing. And, you know, like I mentioned, his music has been a guiding light for me, like both personally and professionally for so long, for so much of my, you know, grown up life and, you know, young, young adulthood. And he, yeah, he's so incredibly generous uh, as a mentor. We connected for the first time in London, actually, because I was living there at the same time that he had his Cambridge residency. Mm -hmm. And so we connected there a little bit. And then we reconnected again during the pandemic when we're both now based in Los Angeles. Uh And so at that point, we had a few sessions, which were actually mainly focused around like mindset and career goals, which has been amazingly helpful, Um, especially because as a female in the composing world i feel like a lot of my uh a lot of my preparation particularly at byu was based around like how to write but not really how to make a living and i think you know part of that is a little bit just a patriarchal we don't really we don't really expect the women to do this a little <laughs> bit you know i i loved my time at byu but but there is that that's kind of baked into just an old tradition that that you know we're growing out of and so um yeah so some of my mentorship with eric was just kind of getting into his frame of mind about thinking big about what a career can look like what uh what music can look like what communicating with people on a huge scale can look like and that really broadened my horizons and he was so generous with, sh- with sharing all of that expertise and confidence I, I feel like every time I'm around him I like fill up my cup of confidence again and that's just a huge gift that I, he doesn't even do on purpose but that's just you know who yeah, he is just as him. a person yeah. yeah yeah exactly and he's been very helpful with um, talking a lot uh, with me about publishing and how important it is to maintain your copyright as much as you can and and you know diving into different publishers and their ethos and royalties and he's the main reason why I really um, my my sole publisher to at this point has been graphite publishing which I think Mm -hmm. you know because of oh yeah yeah Jocelyn and Tim yeah yeah they're both amazing but they have a fantastic uh, system of well their their roster and their curated collection is amazing but also they treat their composers really well in the sense of royalty and copy copyright and i really didn't understand the importance of that stuff till you know eric started digging into that with me and then creatively you know we've 
we've talked a lot about the kind of things that are in his masterclass. Have you watched his masterclass? I haven't yet. No. Oh, I, I highly, highly recommend every, you know, creative conductor artist. It's because it's so widely applicable and he does such a good job of um, capturing that, you know, mysteriousness of the muse and actually putting it into some, some concrete actionable like language that's still beautiful and allows for um interpretation and so yeah because of that i i basically always start every piece now with the golden brick which is what he talks about in the master class like pretty much a guiding principle of what what makes me want to write this thing in the first place Mm -hmm. and so like with my piece, they are mother, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, I knew I wanted to use the pronoun they and explore the multiple inclusive versions of the feminine divine. And so that was my golden brick. So before I even wrote a note of music, I already knew the core fundamental. And then I always make some version of emotional architecture like Eric does as well, which is basically making like a map of the emotional journey that I want to take through the music like how do I want to feel throughout this really and I find this the most helpful thing to refer to throughout the process because if I'm composing and I ever find myself thinking hmm what should come next like I know I'm way off track (laughs) if I'm ever thinking that so you know I may not know specifics but if I know the emotional direction I want to travel in then I can at least honor that idea and I have the best chance at leaving my ego out of it and actually being as honest as possible. And, you know, Eric is all about integrity and creation, which is so great for a people pleaser like me, because I, you know, I want to write what people want to hear, but that's actually (laughs) like the least honest way (laughs) to make a thing. And so he's really great at pulling that, uh, pulling that out. It's just such a joy to work with him and soak up his perspective. And yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. All right. Well, I got one more question for you before we take a break. And this is completely non-music related. Yes. So um, I'd like to ask, what is your favorite movie or type of movie? If you had to sit down tonight and watch something, what would it be? I mean, there's the Disney canon, or I was also going to say Singing in the Rain. Oh, great choice. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Those Those would basically be... But I would say singing in the rain, maybe Aladdin, yeah, Little Mermaid. <laughs> I mean, these are such like basic white girl answers. I know, but I that is that's what I love. <laughs> no, I I love it. I love it. All right. Well, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll listen to some of Jen's compositions. Okay. Welcome back. I'm talking today with Jennifer Lucy Cook. So I would like to point out before we begin listening today that all four pieces that we are featuring feature your work as a lyricist as well as a composer. Yeah. Uh, so we are going to start today with They Are Mother, which you mentioned in the previous segment uh, for SATB and Piano. Now, I should mention that this piece is a recent winner of the Chorus Austin Composition Prize. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So you talk about this piece as an expression of the feminine divine. What do you mean by that? I mean the creative spark that is in each of us whatever you want to call that and that i i mean the feminine divine in the sense of 
because creating is an essentially feminine act, not gendered act, but feminine act. And, uh-huh. um, and yeah, we all have, we all have that creative spark in all of us. And so it was important to me to, to use they, them pronouns for this piece because that applies to everyone. Um, and in fact, also it's both non-binary, but they is also non-singular. So that also um, felt right. And I, I do want to say that I consulted when I was working on this text, I consulted with my friend, um, Reverend Alex Regan, who is a trans man and an interfaith minister as well. Mm-hmm. To, I, I would take him sections of text that I was working on and kind of bounce it back and forth to try to really get to the core of this, you know, elusive, creative being, God, divinity, intuition, the universe, what, whatever form that is. And it's a, it's, it's a hard concept to, to pin down in, in text, but sure. Yeah. Do you, do you get any reactions from people who have a more traditional sort of masculine God uh, viewpoint? Yeah. In fact, the commissioning choir, the UVU um, chamber choir in uh, Utah Valley, um, a lot of them are like still identify with like a traditional masculine, you know, patriarch God. And still it was so cool to hear them talk about um, the, the way they saw themselves in this or, or even literally their own mothers in this. And um I I hope that it remains open to that interpretation because I think there are a lot of right answers. All right. Yeah. We are going to now listen to the Utah Valley University Chamber Choir uh, conducted by Reed Criddle singing They Are Mother.
All right, we're going to turn next to For You, I Will Be an Island for SATB Acapella Choir. So this piece was written during quarantine, seems to be a reaction to quarantine. Mm -hmm. You state in the program notes for this piece, quarantine felt to me very similar to other rare times when distance means love, like when a relationship seems to have run its course or when love isn't returned in kind. So is the idea in this piece that if you love someone enough, you'll keep your distance if that's what's required? Am I sort of on the right path with yeah. that? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, remember how early quarantine, that was like the weirdest thing? That yeah. it's like, oh, I'm not going to go see my grandma like I'd like to. And because I love her, I am staying away, <laughs> for instance. Like, that's a very literal, yeah. like, quarantine-specific um, thing. But, but you know, like I said in those program notes, I, I do feel like it, it's strange. It's sort of the... Um, that old cliche of if you love someone let them go which on its surface like doesn't make any sense at all <laughs> and yet there is a strange truth in that and i and i think you know there are times in my life where i've had to let dreams i loved go and that is also a very lonely weird act of love hmm yeah yeah that, that's a uh... It's a really cool viewpoint. I haven't really ever thought of that before. Yeah. Uh, what was the reaction from the commissioning choir on this one? I'm just curious. Oh, yeah. The Contorum Chamber Choir, um, led by my friend Steve Durchy, they, I, I had such, um, such a great time talking with them about what this meant to them because they, they had to perform and rehearse throughout quarantine, like, separate uh, like they had this huge auditorium that they were like in six foot little pods away from each other trying still to sing and so I think for them it hit on this very uh this very personal choir level of we love singing together we love being each other with each other and the very thing that we love the most is the thing that we love each other so much that we're not gonna do mm. closely and I I mean, it must have been so strange. I'm, I don't know what your experience was like, was like with choirs during the pandemic, but it's such a strange thing that this that this thing that usually keeps us from being lonely <laughs> was like taken from us. Because, yeah. And and to honor each other, we had to like stay away. Yeah. Okay. Well, we are going to listen to Cantorum Chamber Choir perform for you. I will be an island. Oh, 
All right, our next piece is called Over and Over. This is an experimental round for choir and synth bass. So you start with the text, over and over we fight, then over and over we fix it. So what would you say that this piece is about? How would you synthesize this? Yes, this piece is about when you circle the drain of a relationship that doesn't seem to be going anywhere, but you haven't quite cut the cord. And I I thought it would be really interesting and haunting to to explore that concept in a round like when you know because I've had like girlfriends before who will talk to me about you know their boy their you know boy trouble or something and will go wait we literally had this same conversation like last week (laughs) this is just a different set of specifics but like we're still doing it and I feel like that's really that's a common feeling of when you're just not quite ready to to let go but you still see all the issues and you go around and round about it so anyway this was the very very literal exploration of going around that kind of uh, an issue and I and I wanted to explore the kind of major nature of so like traditional rounds are like major triads over and mm-hmm. over right but I want but to to pair that with this really heartbreaking kind of uh, it's hard to watch kind of an emotion mm-hmm. and because it's sometimes like that you know you have you have a relationship like this where you like still try to smile through it or you still go well, maybe it's not so bad and it's like there are more than one emotion at play at any one time so that's what I was trying to explore musically sure without getting too personal was there anything going on in your life at that time that this was reflecting not currently no okay I would say I would say this is true but not autobiographical gotcha <laughs> yeah. uh, and I just want to clarify is this you in the recording that we're going to hear is this you this doing is. multi-track yep 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 and then this is my partner Pete on all of the, on the tenor bass uh, tenor bass yes awesome all right well we are going to listen to over and over Over and over we fight, then over and over we fix it. More like a foe than a lover, now you know. What about forever after every high and low? Never thought I'd have to learn a way to let you go. Over and over we fight, over and over we fight, over and over we fight, over and over we Hey! 
All right, our last piece today is time for SATB acapella. Uh, this is a fun piece where each repetition of the text sort of loses words as it goes, not to mention the clock ticking, tongue clicking. Uh -huh. uh, what were you wanting to say about time through this piece? I wanted this piece to feel like that frantic nature of running out of time. But then like sometimes I have this other voice in my head. It's like if I'm late for something, then my other this other voice is like, but wait, it doesn't really matter. Like it doesn't matter at all. And then <laughs> I'll be like, but I want to be on time, but it doesn't matter. And so there's like this this funny like um, so there's a line in this song that's like time is an illusion. Um, and because I think it is at a certain point, we just all agreed on hours and minutes. They're not anything. And yet you can still feel frantic and like you're running out of it. And I think there's also this layer for me of like getting older and being like, oh no, I haven't done enough with my life yet. I can't believe it. Like there are pop stars who are younger than me now. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> so, cause yeah. yeah. Anyway. So I was really trying to get at that, but like not not taking itself too seriously either and exploring like all the different sounds that a voice can make because a voice can sound like a lot of stuff so you can click your tongue while you sing at the same time yeah <laughs> so that's what this is about okay well we are going to listen to this fun little round called time Time, you can spend it when you spend it, then you're running out of time. You can save it, but to save it is to take a little time. In a minute when you're in it, can you feel the passing time? Is an illusion, there's confusion when they tell you now it's time. To get older, time to work and time to waste and there's no time. Left to hold the time to tell them how you feel while there's still time. 3 to 1, 11, 32 a.m. then dinner time. Now to kill, I said I will and still it flies on, flies on time. spend when you spend you're running out of time you can save but to save it take some time in a minute you're in it feel passing time is an illusion confusion they tell you now it's time to get older to work time to waste there's no time left to hold time to tell him while there's still time 3 to 11 2 a.m dinner time now to kill said i will still it flies oh time Fly, 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 fly on time. Mm. 
So Jen, what are you working on now that you can tell us about? A couple of really cool things that I am excited about. The over and over that you heard is kind of an experiment with choir and synth bass. And I was exploring that because I'm really interested in the combination of synth bass and choir. So I'm working on a larger suite of hmm. pieces um, with that instrumentation. And right now they're they're all based around the Zodiac. And so I'm exploring um, multiple movements based on um, yeah, the, the different constellations. And the final movement of the piece is kind of a game where depending on the time at the uh, at the date of the concert and where the sky looks like, that determines what order the pieces all go in. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yes. To be super honest, it is not completely fleshed out yet. So that is <laughs> that is very much an in progress idea. But but yes, yeah, so that uses choir and synth bass and I'm really excited about that. I dream scenario is to perform that in a planetarium because like that dome structure would be uh -huh. so interesting acoustically too. Uh, anyway, so manifesting that in the world. Um, I'm also working on several, uh, I'm working on a Christmas piece, um, hopefully to get published in the next few months in time for possible performance this year. And I am also working on, I have, two musicals in progress one that's a short piece being performed in chicago in august and then another piece that um another musical called aurora that is about the northern lights and yeah we got shortlisted for the o'neill uh residency for this summer but haven't heard back yet they haven't announced yet so cross anyway. your fingers yeah cro please send the good vibes for that <laughs> <laughs> anyway so yeah musicals and choir all the time fabulous yeah so where can my listeners learn more about you where are you located online i on all the social platforms i'm at jen lucy cook j-e-n-l-u-c-y-c-o-o-k or my website jenniferlucycook.com fantastic well, hey, listeners, if you are enjoying today's episode and would like to show your appreciation, please become a supporter of the show. Even a small contribution can make a huge difference to my ability to keep this podcast running. I'd like to give a big thank you to those who have already become supporters. For just as little as 99 cents a month, you can help keep the music moving. Visit anchor.fm slash movable dough and click support to become a supporter today. Well, Jennifer, Lucy Cook, it has been a pleasure to talk to you and to get to know you. Thank you for oh, joining same. me on Movable Dough. Thank you so much for having me. And don't for one second think that I didn't spot the wicked book on the piano behind you. <laughs> I see you. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a musical theater buff. I, I won't deny it. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I'm, I love this project and everything that you do to forward choral music in the world. So thank you for doing that. Well, thank you so much. My guest today was composer Jennifer Lucy Cook. If you have a recommendation for a future guest or an idea for the show, please email me at movabledoe at gmail.com. This is Steve Danielson. Keep the music moving. <laughs>